I'd say good morning, everybody, but I've been up here a wee bit this morning. Uh, good morning again. Um, let's, let's take a moment um, and just gather our hearts uh, as we come to God's word this morning. Let's pray. Um, Father, as we open up uh, your word again this morning, we... Um, we just want to confess again that we are a people easily distracted uh, by things around us, by things in the week just gone by, by things in the week that's coming. Um, and Father, it's so um, essential for our for our well-being, for our um, our growing and our living well. Um, in so many different ways that we hear the things that you want to say to us from your word. Uh, your word brings health, your word brings life, your word brings light, your word brings wisdom and direction, um, your word brings joy. And so, Father, help us not to miss it this morning. Help us uh, to be really uh, attentive to the voice of your spirit as you speak through your word. And we pray that it would land deeply in our hearts and we pray that it would bear good fruit and we pray that it would bear fruit that will last. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we are um, getting near, near the very end of um, our series on everyday mission. Um, I, I've been really encouraged just by uh, all the conversations happening around this series and just hearing different people chatting about um, how you're wrestling with this um, in your family and your workplace and uh, the conversations that are happening in home groups about how to take this into uh, the places where we actually live uh, day by day. So it's been really encouraging just to hear the buzz uh, of conversation around this. Um, if you missed last week, make sure you go back and listen uh, to Ricky's uh, really powerful message about our motivation for mission and being compelled by the love of Christ. Uh, so make, make sure you uh, don't miss that one. Uh, maybe just as an intro to our theme for this morning, um, I, I'm kind of aware I, I'm often very, when I'm up here, um, I can be quite negative about the internet uh, and its impact on our culture. Uh, and especially, I think I'm especially hard on YouTube and its tendency to take us down rabbit holes of complete banality and trivia and nonsense, uh, or, or of um, contentiousness and controversy. Um, and I, I think it can do us a lot of harm. But I want to say something positive uh, about YouTube this morning. Because every now and again, uh, the internet in general, and YouTube in particular, can throw up things that are instructive and helpful uh, and even delightful. Uh, and I want to share one with you this morning uh, to send you down a little delightful rabbit hole. Um, but one thing that I discovered during COVID lockdowns, I may have mentioned it once before, um, is something called pub choir. Um, pub choir was a, uh, something that began in Australia and then I think it spread to other parts of the world as well. Uh, but the idea of pub choir is very simple. They, they gather hundreds of people uh, in a city like Brisbane or Sydney or wherever, or New York, um, and in a big space, a pub or a music venue or, or something. Um, and for several hours, they teach them 
to sing a, a pop song. And it can literally be anything. It can be by Coldplay or... Um, I can't think of any other bands now. It's <laughs> gone blank. Uh, or other bands also. Um, the Cranberries. Or they, they sing songs by everybody. Uh, Radiohead. Um, and they, for, for several hours, that's all I can think of, um, for several hours they learn to sing that song in parts like a choir. Um, and then, having learned it together, they then perform it and record it and share it with the world via, via YouTube. Uh, and the thing, you'll not be surprised to know that I cry when I watch these, but um, th there's something very powerful about, these are people who are complete strangers, who've never met each other, who come together for a few hours. Um, uh, most of them are not professional singers or trained singers. I'm sure some of them are not even good singers. You don't have to have any qualification to come. Um, and, but the results when they sing together, they're not perfect, but they are really beautiful. And there's something really powerful and actually very moving about all these voices being lifted together. Uh, even if what they're singing is, I want it that way by Backstreet Boys. There's another one. Um, is that Backstreet Boys? Yes. Um, I'm going to stop trying to think of balance. So um, I encourage you, it will be an hour well spent um, if, you're, if you enjoy music uh, to go and explore that later on. Uh, that may or may not have something to do with what we're about to think about uh, this morning. You can, you can judge as we go along. Um, I want to read really um, one verse from 1 Peter that's kind of the centre of what we want to think about uh, this morning. We're also going to be reflecting a little bit on the passage that Renee read to us earlier on about being the body of Christ. Uh, but I want to read especially this verse. I want to recommend this verse. If you're looking for verses in the Bible that are worth really memorizing and taking to heart, um, I think this one is really significant. It's really significant. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It's really significant because Peter um, is deliberately echoing language that was used about the people of Israel in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 19, just after God had brought the people out of Egypt. And Peter deliberately uses that language to talk about us as Christians. Um, and so it's a really significant verse, I think. And this is what Peter says. This is our identity as God's people. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You can go back and look at Exodus 19 to see how Peter has borrowed the, the language that was used there. Just as they were brought out of Egypt um, into freedom, we've been brought out of darkness into his wonderful light and now have the same identity that God's people had in the Old Testament. Let me read it again. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Um, here's the question I want to kind of begin with. Um, when Peter talks about declaring God's praises, um, is he talking about worship or is he talking about mission? I wonder where your mind kind of goes when you hear that phrase. Is he talking about declaring God's praises upward to God as worship or is he talking about declaring God's praises outward 
to our neighbours and to our wider world. Um, I wonder how you would answer that. Um, I want to suggest the answer is yes. <laughs> um, it's, it's both and. We don't need to choose. That we are called to be a people who, in the midst of our world, in the midst of our generation, in the midst of our culture, declare praise and thanksgiving toward God, that, that vertical aspect uh, of praise, but also declare God's praises to our neighbours, which is the outward thing. And so worship and mission go together. Um, they're two sides of one coin. We're worshipping people in the midst of our culture. Um, and I think what, what's also really helpful to note in that verse from Peter is that both the worship and the mission have the same root. And that where they're rooted is they are rooted in our experience of God's grace. Both our praise and thanksgiving to God and our outward declaration of God's goodness to our neighbour, they flow out of our experience of God's grace. It's because we've been brought out of darkness into his wonderful light that we praise both upward and outward. Uh, we've experienced the kindness and love and mercy of God, which has brought us out of darkness into light. Um, and whenever that gets a hold of our hearts, when we are amazed by grace, then it will overflow in both directions. It will flow towards God and it will flow towards our neighbour. Uh, we sing a song of amazing grace whenever that grace gets hold of our heart. And so maybe this kind of overlaps a little bit with what Ricky was talking about last week, about motivation. Uh, maybe one of the things we can say immediately is, um, if we are not enjoying God and enjoying God's grace and goodness as a daily reality, as a living reality in our lives, then our worship will become stale. It will just become a going through the motions. We'll become those people Isaiah talked about who honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. So our worship becomes stale and our mission will become really dutiful, just driven by guilt, just doing it because we know, kind of know we're meant to do it. But both the worship and the mission become stale and heavy um, whenever we're not walking in that place where we're enjoying God's grace and God's goodness. And so maybe I want to say as a little challenge to all of us, if, if, if your heart is not overflowing in praise uh, towards God, and if your heart is not want, wanting to share that with your neighbor, there's no point trying to kind of stir yourself up into worship or mission. Um, we need to return to the root. We need to return to the source and ask God to refresh us with a sense of his amazing grace and put that song back in our heart because then it will flow to God and it will flow to our neighbor. You can't fake it. Um, you got to return to the source and ask God, would you put that fire back in my heart? Would you put that song back in my heart? Um, both our worship and our mission come from the same place where people, for Israel it was, we've been brought out of Egypt uh, into freedom. God brought us out with an outstretched arm, a mighty arm and a, a mighty hand and a might, an outstretched arm and carried us on eagles' wings and brought us to freedom. For us, it's the fact that we've been brought out of darkness. We've been brought out of slavery to sin. We've been brought into the freedom of the children of God. And so there's a song uh, that bubbles up. 
that's kind of where we want to begin. Um, but I want, to, I want us to notice one more thing from that verse uh, that we read. And it's this, that the song is a song that we sing together. It is not a solo that we sing, the, that song of amazing grace in the middle of our culture. Um, the verse does not say, you are a chosen person, a royal priest, a holy individual. It says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. This is a we situation, not a I, me situation. We are a people, a nation, a community, a family. And so this is a song that we sing together. And the beauty and the power is in many voices rising together. Uh, maybe you can see why I talked about pub choir at the beginning. Um, people who, who were strangers coming together to sing one song is really powerful. And if it's powerful when it's Backstreet Boys, how much more powerful is it when the song we're singing is the song of God's people who've been liberated from darkness and brought into his light? Um, maybe, as we've been talking about mission during this series, um, maybe you've kind of been looking around the room and thinking, well, that person over there, I can see why they would be really good at mission. And I can see why God's lucky to have them on his team for mission, because they'd be really good at reaching their neighbors and reaching their colleagues and being a powerful influence for good. But maybe you've kind of been thinking, I'm not sure what part I have to play. Um, and the thing we want to really focus on this morning is, as the church sings the song of amazing grace, um, we really need your voice, right? We need your voice as part of the mix. Not just the really good singers, but all the singers. Uh, not just the people with the obvious talents. We need everybody. It doesn't matter if you think you're a good singer or not. You just have to turn up and sing. And something happens as all of God's people play their part. And so that's kind of what we want to think about uh, this morning. Um, Maybe if I can change the metaphor for a moment, but stick with music rather than thinking of a choir. Um, I, I've been quoting a lot from a book called The Symphony of Mission. So maybe we can think about, um, this is a symphony that we play together. And the beauty and the power is in all the instruments working together. I don't know if you've ever heard an orchestra playing live or you've probably at least seen one on TV. Um, and I'm not talking about, I'm about to say something really bad. I'm not talking about the, the primary school kids' orchestras, uh, which are delightful to listen to for other reasons, um, but sometimes a bit screechy and squawky. Um, but have you ever heard a really good symphony play? And it's an amazing thing uh, to listen to. Um, but the beauty and the power is in all the instruments working together. I feel bad about that now. It's beautiful when the kids play. Um, whenever, whenever I was young, um, I used, well, I, for a little while I played the violin, and then my, my music teacher encouraged me to change to the viola, uh, which is like a violin, but a little bit bigger and a little bit lower in sound. Um, but the thing about playing the viola, and I played in all kinds of orchestras in school and in the music center. Um, but the thing about the viola is the viola never got the nice part, right? The first violins got to play the melody. So they're, they're all practicing playing this amazing sweeping melody, right? The viola part, 
whenever I was practicing at home. Do you know what it sounded like? It was, it, I, can't even, I can't even recreate it for you. But it, was, it tended to be off the beat and kind of jerky. So I was literally at home just going, duh, 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 duh. And my mum's in the other room listening to me. And it didn't sound inspiring. It didn't sound uplifting. It didn't sound moving. It sounded kind of awkward and jerky and strange. And yet, whenever we got together with the orchestra, and I played my part, if I played it right, um, something amazing happened. My little strange part actually made the first violins sound better because it added layers beneath what they were playing and the whole came together. My strange, awkward part became part of a beautiful whole. Um, the Apostle Paul um, doesn't talk about a choir or an, or an orchestra, um, but he talks about the church as a body with many parts. Um, and Rene read to us earlier from 1 Corinthians 12, uh, that very famous passage. Um, what does Paul say in that passage? He says, all the parts are essential. Um, and I love that Paul gets a little bit um, humorous and playful, I think. And he says, you know, if all of us were, eye, were, ear, were eyes, then the body couldn't hear. If all of us were ears, then the body wouldn't be able to smell. It'd be a very strange body if all the parts were the same. Um, maybe sticking with my metaphor, imagine if you went to see an orchestra and the orchestra was made up only of violins. It'd be a very strange orchestra and a very monotonous sound after a while. Imagine an orchestra that was just clarinets or just French horns or whatever. Um, Paul goes on to say in the part that, that we didn't read this morning, that the parts of the body that we think are weaker or less important are actually essential and to be treated with special honor. Um, I, I find myself wondering what that would be in an orchestra, uh, the parts that are, we think are weaker. Maybe, maybe I still have that wound from my childhood. That maybe it's the viola. We think they're not important. Um, maybe it's the bassoon. I don't know, don't know what, or bassoon. I don't know what a bassoon really is. Um, <laughs> Maybe it's the guy at the back playing the triangle, right? Um, the parts that we think are not important, um, and yet they're essential. And when it comes to mission, um, let's come back to what, what we've been thinking about. Um, why, why am I using those metaphors? Because I think when it comes to mission, we are very aware of people with obvious gifts, the, the violins and the trumpets and the pianists, right? We're really aware of them. Um, and so... We might look around and say, that person is good at preaching. That person is really good with words and at articulating the gospel. Uh, that person is good at apologetics and giving reasoned arguments for the Christian faith. Um, or maybe you look at someone in this room and say, that person is just so good at striking up conversations with strangers. They can talk to anybody on the street. Um, and it's amazing the way, the way they do that. Um, or maybe you look at someone else in the room and think, that person is so practical. They see someone in need, they see someone with difficulty, and they just move in to help, um, to fix the problem, to uh, offer practical help. Um, maybe you look at another person and say, they're just amazing at hospitality. They welcome people into their home and make them feel so welcome and make them feel uh, just really at home. Um, I wonder, do you find yourself thinking that way? Um, we tend to notice people with the gifts that we don't have. 
right? And sometimes we think, I wish, I wish I, I wish I had those gifts. Then I, then I could be a really powerful blessing. Um, we often think they are essential to the church's mission. They're vital to the symphony of mission. But often we think, here I am with my jerky, awkward, tuneless voice. Here I am hitting my little triangle, right? And it's not very impressive. Um, I don't know if any of you remember when, I remember when I was young, uh, like in youth fellowship growing up in church, um, there was a, a, an Italian-American speaker called Tony Campolo who was really popular in those days. Um, and I think every youth fellowship, uh, you, you watch videos of Tony Campolo and read books by Tony Campolo. And um, I think he came to Belfast to speak. Um, but the thing about Tony Campolo was he, he was an Italian-American with a, a really big personality. Um, and I, you'd be mesmerized by his stories. And I remember, I remember listening to him literally tell stories about he would get on an elevator that was going up 40 floors. And everybody would get on and face the front, um, as they do in their business suits. And he would get on and deliberately face everybody. And then lead them in singing, you are my sunshine, uh, just to try to cheer them up. Right? So that's the kind of personality that he had. But then he would tell these incredible stories about leading people to faith. It seemed like every time he went on an airplane, he led someone to faith. Or uh, he picked up a hitchhiker and led them to faith. Or he um, was on the streets of Hawaii and met prostitutes and ended up throwing a birthday party for one of them and leading them to faith at the birthday party. And you listened to these stories, and you were inspired, and you were amazed. But as I reflected on it as time went on, sometimes you also walked away thinking, I could never do that because I'm not an Italian-American with that kind of personality. Um, sometimes we think that's what it takes to be used by God in mission. And I want to suggest if what, if what we've been saying this morning is true, and I think it is, that we, we need all the parts playing together, um, there, there's a couple of really practical um, consequences of that that I want to just spell out. One of them is don't try to be someone else. <laughs> Right? You don't need to try to be Tony Campolo. You don't need to try to be Ricky Linton. You don't need to try to be whoever it is in this room that you most admire for their missional effectiveness. Um, God can use you with your personality and your gifts and your voice. Um, as I reflected over the years, I thought, you know, some people will respond to the big, loud personality. And that's what they really need. Um, that will reach them. There are also lots of people out there who will run a mile from the big, loud personality. But you know what might happen if, if they have a colleague in work who sets an example of daily quiet integrity and kindness and faithfulness, then over time, they may just trust you enough to open up. And so God can use the big, loud extroverts, but he can also use the quiet, shy introverts. If you make yourself available to God, he can use you with your personality. He can use the people who are good with words and he can use the people who are good with actions and practical expressions of love. He can use the people who are good at the complicated ideas and he can use the people who are just really good at keeping it simple in a way that gets to the heart. Um, whatever your personality um, God can use you. Um, you don't have to pretend to be someone else or try to be 
someone else. And so I guess I want to say to you this morning, if what you have in your hand is a triangle or a viola or a bassoon, um, it may not seem that impressive to you, but hit that thing, blow that thing, play that thing. Um, play the part God has given you to play because um, he is the composer and the conductor. And if you play your part and offer it to him, then he will weave it into this beautiful symphony that he is creating. Right? That's not your job. That's his job. But play the part that you've been given. Um, second really practical um, consequence of what we've been talking about um, is don't try to play all the parts. Right? Um, some of us um, try to do everything and end up exhausting ourselves trying to do all the things. Because we think, oh, I'm meant to be doing this, and I'm meant to be doing this, and I'm meant to be doing this. And if I'm a good Christian doing mission, then I should be doing all these different things. And we end up, we're kind of like somebody in the orchestra pit, running anxiously from instrument to instrument, playing a little bit on this one, and a little bit on this one, and a little bit on this one. Um, we feel guilty that we're not doing everything. Um, if mission is something we do together as church family, what matters is to make ourselves available to God, Ask him to show you what, what part is yours to play and then play that part gladly with a whole heart and be glad that others are also playing their parts and God is the one who brings it together. Um, I want to I tell a story before I finish. Um, um, I have two friends. Um, many, many of you know their names called Mark and Dave. I'm just going to say their names out loud. Um, Mark and Dave don't know Jesus yet, uh, but they do know a lot of Jesus followers. Um, over the years, um, many, many people in this church have come to know Mark and Dave and call them friends. Um, they've probably clocked up more hours in that coffee shop than anyone else um, in this town. Um, and over the years, they've got to know Charlie and Nicola when they were working in the coffee shop and Leslie working in the coffee shop more recently. They got to know Colin when he was the centre manager. They got to know Katrina, who's in there now. Uh, and they got to know many others from our church who drop in and out of the coffee shop. Got to know Matt and Dave and Tim and Helen and Ken and many others. Um, and the people from our church that they've got to know, um, some of them are really good at intellectual discussion. And uh, Mark and Dave quite like a little bit of that, right? Some people, some people are really good at that. Some have shared the gospel with them really simply or just shared a little bit of their own testimony. Some have just shown them kindness day after day. Um, some have just taken an interest in their lives and their families and their kids and their dogs and their work. Some from this church turned up at the funerals of their dads when they lost their dads last year. Some have taken them out for pizza or played computer games with them or gone into the woods to light fires and hang hammocks and pretend it's the apocalypse or something. I don't know. Um, some have invited them to a table quiz in the building and just for a night of laughter and fun. Some have invited them to hear Glenn Scrivener at the mission events that happened last year. Um, whenever we first met Mark and Dave, they were both deeply, deeply convinced atheists um, evangelistic atheists, probably verging on militant atheists. Um, now, we're not sure. 
Mark says he believes in God and he's looking for Jesus. He's happy that we pray for him to have a personal encounter with Jesus. He welcomes that. Um, Dave is still an atheist, but there is a new openness there that wasn't there before. There's a softness of heart. Let me ask the contributions that I mentioned before, all the people who've got to know Mark and Dave, which of them has been the most important? Um, I, I hope you would agree with me. It's a meaningless question. Every part of the body is vital. Every instrument is vital. And often the parts that we think are modest and unimportant will turn out to be the most essential, right? And I suspect, I suspect when Mark and Dave finally come to bow the knee to Jesus, it won't be because of a brilliant new argument that somebody comes up with or even a brilliant sermon. It'll be something small and quiet and seemingly insignificant. Someone will hit a note on a triangle and the walls of their resistance will come down and they will finally see the light, the beauty, the glory of Jesus. Because that's how God loves to work. He loves to use the weak and the small and the insignificant to do things that are powerful and life-changing. I hope that encourages you. Um, Let let me finish with this. I want to finish with uh, another verse from the Bible that absolutely blows my mind every time I read it. I'm just going to leave it with you so you can just go away this afternoon and go mind-blown. Ephesians 3, verse 10. Paul writes this, speaking about God, he says, God's intent, God's purpose was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not going to unpack all of that, but in a nutshell, what is Paul saying? Um, That God's plan is to show his wisdom, not only to the world, but even to the the spiritual realm, even to the angels, even to the the principalities and powers in the heavenly realm, right? So God's purpose is to show the many-colored beauty of his wisdom, his manifold wisdom, to the world and to the spiritual realm. So that in itself, I think, is mind-blowing enough. But the bit that really gets me is that he says he's going to do it through the church. That the way that God is going to show the beauty of his wisdom to the world and to the angels is through the church, is through wobbly, awkward, wonky, fragile people like us. And so I think whenever you you set those two things together, that plan and the reality of us, (laughs) you, you realize This is not something we can make happen ourselves. That is God's plan from beginning to end. He accomplishes it through Jesus Christ our Lord. And yet, he really, really, really intends to do it through us. As each of us plays our part, as all of us sing together, God is going to do this. Um, All we can do is make ourselves available. Um, I want to encourage you this week, get up every day this week, And just ask God, what do you want me to do today? Um, What is the part you want me to play uh, in this song, in this symphony? Um, And then play the part that you've been given with a whole heart and trust the great composer and conductor to somehow take our awkward squeaks and squawks and turn it into something 
beautiful and compelling that may just um, bring our neighbours closer to Jesus, that may just change the world, because that's what God does through the church. Um, Let's pray together as we finish. Let me remind you, um, if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, um, there's always a couple of people over here by this radiator uh, who would love to pray with you before you go um, and just head up there and ask for prayer. Um, Let's pray together and then we're going to sing. Father, I want to thank you that you are at work in our world and you are making your beautiful wisdom known um, in our world and even in the heavenly realms. I want to thank you that you choose to do this through the church. You choose to use people like us. Um, I want to thank you that you've made all of us different. I pray that even as we go out this morning and look around at all the different faces in the church, we would give thanks that you've made us all different and that we each have a vital part to play in your mission. And I want to pray, Lord, would you help us this week to make ourselves available, um, to get up each day and ask, what do you want me to do today? What part do you want me to sing in this song? And then help us to trust you as the great composer, as the great conductor, uh, to take what we do, to take what we say, to take our little awkward part and turn it into something beautiful and compelling that will turn the hearts of our neighbours towards Jesus and maybe even change the world. And we pray that you would do this by your spirit, that you'd do it through us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.